This is a special call to action to our listeners to financially support this podcast and spread awareness of the Native Plants Dialogue through exclusive Plant Native Nebraska merch at plant-native-nebraska.myspreadshop.com. Wear our designs in your best effort to convert your friends and neighbors, or just simply look cool. Thank you for your continued support in our quest to help Nebraska plant native. Hello, and welcome to the Plant Native Nebraska podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Barlman. If you are new to tuning in, this show is for native plant enthusiasts, aspiring gardeners, suburban homeowners, growers, and thinkers anxious to learn more about growing Native American plants and creating habitat for wildlife. If this sounds like you, you've come to the right place. For today's episode, in rebellion against the neat and tidy, we go over why seemingly perfect gardens are not sustainable and address common garden myths that may prevent you and others from growing native gardenscapes. It's a brand new year at Plant Native Nebraska. Thanks for listening. So today we're here to talk about the neat and tidy and our seemingly endless obsession to make everything not messy to make everything organized and sterile and not wild. This impulse of ours is, it's dysfunctional. Over-curated, over-groomed, over-mulched gardens are not sustainable. Over-curation of a garden by being too involved or constantly planting exotic species or annual species purely for aesthetics, is not only a waste of resources, but it depends on a very consumer-heavy industry. There are so many implications dealing with carbon emissions, plastic and chemical waste, and depleting natural bog habitat and over-harvesting peat in the UK for potting soil. On curating, we can better curate our spaces with an initial vision, whether it's to create wild edible landscapes, restoring meadow or woodland areas, or providing more habitat for pollinators and other wildlife. Most people cannot afford mulching every year, not to mention mulching every year is an invented practice and very unnatural. People mulch heavily to prevent weeds from growing. The common practice then is to spray any weeds that do get through and repeat over and over, which poisons groundwater, insects, and birds, among other problems. On mulching, weeds get in and flourish because most weeds are aggressive or prolific self-seeders. Most weeds can actually just be culled by a monthly weeding and be offset by using some vigorous natives and ground cover plants, as well as using grasses and sedges to fill in bare areas. We discuss numerous plants um, in this ground cover plant category on our podcast. So if you need ideas for ground cover plants to use instead of mulching religiously every year, go back and listen to some of our episodes. We talk about a lot of them. And I know this year we're going to talk about even more examples of ground covers you can use in your native plant gardens. Overgrooming our gardens by religious deadheading, over pruning, and overshaping hedges requires endless amounts of labor every year, 
It's extremely dependent on a single individual or the expense of outsourcing the work. Wildflowers and native grasses need little tending to be happy. If you plant them mindfully in the habitat they are accustomed to, they will not need to be fussed with, but largely take care of themselves. One pruning in late winter for trees and shrubs and one cutting back for perennials in late spring is all that's needed if, if we have to use the word needed, because really, you know, nature is wild and nature doesn't need us to do these things to take care of it. Granted, in our personal spaces, on our property, you know, we do want to appease our neighbors. We do want things to look not totally disheveled so that code enforcement doesn't have to come to our house. There is a balance. We can we can cut back perennials in late spring. You know, we can wait till all the critters get out of the canes and and wait till the cold temps dissipate. And we can prune up trees, we can remove dead branches. That's totally reasonable but we don't need to be fussing over our plants all the time. That's a largely invented thing. When we plan for thickening shrubs to spread and we plan for runner forming perennials or, or perennials that have rhizomes to spread and make an allowance for wildness, we are putting a damper on unnecessary and tedious work. So part of today, what we're going over is some common myths you may have heard. And I, I love this myth of the green thumb. I love it because it's so false and people talk about it all the time. I can't have a garden because I kill my houseplants. I can't have a garden because, well, my, my great grandmother gave me this, this garden plant that's supposed to be really easy to take care of and I killed it. Um, so there's this myth out there that there's some supernatural quality to people who can care for plants. And they have something that most people don't. And that's a really, really big myth. So many people are under the assumption, and I want to I call it a delusion, that you have to have this natural innate ability in tending green things to garden. You don't need to be an expert in Kentucky bluegrass to have a lawn. You don't need to be an expert botanist to have a garden. You are inevitably more likely to become an expert by beginning, by starting a garden. But you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have a biology degree. You don't have to have years of experience to be able to have plants that thrive. You just need to get started and practice and experiment. A lot of people kill their plants from overwatering. Let's just put that out there. You know, you have house plants. Some of those house plants, like succulents, do not want to be watered twice a day every single day. They're, they're used to a dry habitat where water is very sparse. Or maybe you have plants that are house plants that do want water because their natural habitat is to have constant moisture. So a lot of times we kill plants by not having a little bit of info about what that plant needs. Now, when we plant a native plant garden here in Nebraska, maybe you're in Lincoln, maybe you're in Bellevue, maybe you're in Carter Lake, Iowa, our environment 
is really, really easy to gauge because we have these prairie plants or, you know, if you live in a more wooded area, we have these little woodland natives. And once you kind of understand those two habitats just a little bit, you understand that prairie plants, for the most part, if it's not a wet prairie, they want to be high and dry and they enjoy full sun. And if you're in a woodland habitat, then your plants are going to be used to having a little bit more moisture, being in the shade or partial shade because you have a lot of trees growing overhead. So, you know, taking care of plants, it's not rocket science. It's not like this mystical, supernatural quality that some people are born with. It's all about just trying to learn a little bit about the plants. What do they need? You know, if we plant something, something very common like anise hyssop, Anise hyssop is going to do well in a full sun garden, and it's not going to need a lot of water. It's just going to mostly go off of what nature gives it. Granted, when you plant plants in your garden as as little new four-inch pots, you are going to want to water these things. You're going to want to give them a good watering every couple of days. And a lot of people, like myself, you know, will use those little oscillating sprinklers And you can water things to get them established. But, you know, after a few weeks of of regular watering, you can really let these things go. And nature will largely take care of itself. It's all about knowing what your soil is like, knowing what your sun conditions are, knowing if uh, you've got a boggy yard because your neighbors run their sprinklers four times a day. So it's all about knowing your space and knowing what plants are going to thrive in that space. We can discuss some other common garden myths. Gardens require a lot of time and money. I can't have a garden. Gardens are too expensive. I can't have a garden. I don't have time to garden. We should discuss the myth that to have an ecological landscape, you must be a full-fledged gardener. You must invest most of your spare time weeding. You must weed yourself to death. You must perform other garden tasks instead of your regular hobbies. You can't have hobbies because now you're a gardener. Well, this is is not true. We can choose to have a wilder landscape. We can devote as much time to it as we would a lawn or other outdoor spaces on our property. Imagine how much time the average person expends mowing, mulching, weeding, trimming hedges, fertilizing, watering, spraying chemicals on a monthly basis it will roughly equal the amount of time the average wild gardener devotes to maintenance. Cutting down on mowing time frees up a lot of time to do more enjoyable as well as more ecological tasks. So imagine how much money is spent doing these turf grass-centric tasks or the money the average person will spend on herbicide and pesticides yearly. Also, imagine the money that people spend on exotic foundation plants such as boxwood or hydrangea at the typical nursery, or the money spent on annuals that will have to be planted again and again. You can start with a small garden. You can source native plants from native plant nurseries for an average of $4 a plant, or you can even grow plants at home from seed. Also, a garden simply doesn't have to be expensive to be beautiful. Most people plant in their budget 
and they expand their vision over time. The best gardens are the product of many years of progress. So start small if you are on a tight budget. Increase the size of your garden as your budget allows. This is what most people do. They have their initial vision and then they expand their garden as their budget allows. You can mulch once initially for weed suppression using a finely shredded mulch. And then you work in ground covers to act as a living mulch so that you don't have to adhere to the expensive and frivolous practice of mulching every year. Another garden myth we can talk about is that native gardens increase allergy symptoms. Well, I can't have a native garden because, um, because my husband has terrible allergies. Oh, and that is just going to make his allergies go through the roof. So a really, really interesting talking point here is that grass which dominates our landscape often in the form of exotic grasses, is wind pollinated. Grass pollen is the most harmful aeroallergen there is. More people are allergic to grass pollen than any other airborne allergen. So, a native plant garden using both wildflowers, which are insect pollinated and release little pollen into the air, and native grasses will not increase allergy response. It should reduce it since there's not just a single monoculture of allergy-causing turf grass. So food for thought there. Another common garden myth, which we've discussed on this podcast before with the wonderful Chris Helzer, the myth being that bees and wasps are out to get you. They will sting everyone. They will sting everyone and anybody that comes in their path. So no, we can't have a native plant garden because everyone's just going to get stung to death. Um, knock on wood, I have never been stung weeding my garden. Sometimes my face or my hands are definitely invading a stinging insect's personal space. I have been stung cutting down a tree, but I learned to check for nests before I start cutting, so that was maybe my fault. The truth is that insects aren't out to get you. They mostly sting defensively. If you use graceful movements, you learn to keep calm around them, they will largely keep to their business, which is finding food. Bees and wasps are in your garden because they're on a mission not to sting and torture you to death, but to find other insect prey, nectar, pollen, sleeping places, mating places, among other things that bees and wasps do. Following that myth, it's believed a native garden will increase other unpleasant wildlife such as mice, mosquitoes, voles, skunks, moles, spiders, snakes, and just way too many bugs. Like it or not, bugs, arachnids, snakes, and small mammals are here to stay. Okay, so like it or not, people, they are here to stay. We live on planet Earth that has life on it, aside from human life. You just gotta deal with it, okay? I mean, PSA here, life on Earth is here to stay. At least we, we sure hope that life on Earth is here to stay, and we really should work to keep it that way. People are going to get mice in their house, even if they use traditional landscaping. People are going to get bit up by mosquitoes, even if they are at a park full of turf grass. A change in landscape does support all kinds of wildlife, but it doesn't magically increase the number of bugs that are a nuisance to you. If anything, it encourages natural predators, a healthy balance of the right amount of organisms needed to sustain a healthy ecosystem. 
Even if you use traditional landscaping, you are going to have people complaining about moles, ants, spiders, mosquitoes, flies, and mice. People are just going to complain about those kinds of things because people complain about things that are annoying to them. And a change in plants is not going to eliminate everything that is annoying to that person. What's really needed here is a change in perception an appreciation that Earth may be the only place in the universe that supports life. Habitat gardening isn't for everyone, and the specific everyone I'm referring to simply want the areas around their homes to be sterile and devoid of any non-human life. Okay, so maybe the last myth that we are discussing today, there is a right or a wrong way to landscape. Um, this one's really interesting. The wonderful thing about gardening is it's a lot like art. There's no good or bad art, though you will find people who discuss what they think is good or bad art. It's up for debate. It's largely related to perception, cultural influences, and the personal experiences of the person. There's no single way to do anything, really. There are efficient ways there are easy ways, there are aesthetic ways, there are polite ways, but there is no right way. There is especially no one way. So we really must eradicate the idea that there is a right and wrong way to landscape. You do not need foundation plants. You do not need containers filled with exotic annuals. You do not need turf grass. You do not need your landscape to be 100% weed free which is also another myth. You do not need to mulch every year. You do not need to do something because your neighbor or your mother-in-law or even another gardener says you need to do it or not do it. I've been told not to plant partridge pea because it's too aggressive. I've been told not to plant some types of goldenrod or native sunflowers and silphiums or obedient plant, wild mint, clematis virginiana, which... I love, it grows amazingly on an arch in my vegetable garden. I've been told not to plant purple poppy mallow or thickening native shrubs like choke cherry or our nat native climbing rose, Rosa sedigera, which is also another amazing climbing plant that is just so incredibly beautiful when it blooms. So, you know, sometimes I get interrupted by, oh no, I'd never plant that, don't plant that. But... Being aggressive never stopped people from planting calorie pear or Japanese honeysuckle or vinca or sweet autumn clematis. It never stopped people from planting scylla or lily of the valley or English ivy or lamb's ear. It didn't stop people from planting orange daylilies or Japanese primrose or Chinese wisteria. So let's discard the idea that something can't be valued because it spreads a lot. Let's just be in favor of native opportunists as, as opposed to exotic ones. I think I've, I've had this idea for this episode in the back of my mind for a really long time. I kind of see myself almost as this botanical anarchist when people tell me, oh, no, you do not want to plant that. There's almost this thing in the back of my brain that like really, really needs to do it because you told me not to. 
Um, and I hope people aren't getting that way about the native plants dialogue because we're telling you not to plant exotics, you know. Well, you're going to, in spite, in spite of us, you're going to go and plant like 50 more exotic plants than you normally would. I think it's really important that we lead this movement, this native plants movement, in showing the value of native plants and the real wholesomeness of them. Um, the, the reasoning behind why wildlife really depends upon native plants instead of um, just simply telling people not to, very much like the parent-child thing that goes on where, where we say, you know, it's time to turn off the TV. And the kids are like, why? And after a long day, you can be exhausted and be like, well, because I said so. Um, so I definitely think that in regards to the native plants dialogue, we really need to give the reasoning behind what we're doing. And we really need to lead with passion and curiosity and wonder instead of just this, you know, almost like repeating these slogans or something and, and not really meeting people where they are and, and explaining the reasoning behind things. I hope that today's episode is, is some food for thought because these seemingly perfect gardens that we see, you know, when we're driving through nice neighborhoods, you know, yeah, they look really nice. They look like they could be on the cover of Better Homes and Gardens. And, and I think there's a part of that that appeals to us. We want to have things that, that look beautiful, but I think there, and, and I think we're learning in our culture that there are many different kinds of beautiful. There are many different ways to define beautiful. And if we can just rethink and rework what we think of as beautiful just a little bit and be open-minded, I think people like myself have found that by being open-minded and, and experimenting and, and trying a new way of doing things, personally for me, I feel like I found um, the most beautiful garden um, that I've ever experienced. And I get to walk out in the middle of summer and I get to experience that every day. And I get to have that feeling of achievement that this is something that I created and this is something that I've built. And it's very much about that concept. If you build it, they will come. And so I'm just making the case today that not everything we do has to be perfect. And we don't have to start out being perfect. A lot of what quote unquote perfect is, is an illusion. It's expensive. It relies on chemicals. It relies on a lot of tedious maintenance work that either takes up a lot of people's time or is really expensive to pay for. And there's these these myths that we, we kind of tell ourselves that prevent us from doing things we enjoy we need to break down those myths and really push back against them because they are definite barriers when we kind of tell ourselves these stories like, you know, oh, well, I could never go to Florida. Uh, you know, oh, gosh, I would be so scared if I could if I if I got close to a crocodile, I could I could never do that. I think we talk ourselves out of doing things that actually might be a really important turning point for us or might be a really wholesome and life-changing experience. So 
we do it with everything. We do it in, in all areas of our life. So of, of course, we're going to do it with gardening too. This is all about encouraging wildness, experiencing, immersing ourselves in nature, uh, learning to be better stewards, better, better citizens of the planet. I'm all for people experimenting with naturalistic landscapes. And I feel that most people, if you do take the chance, if you do lean in or buy in a little bit to the native plants mindset, you're going to be really surprised. I think most people are going to be really surprised and they're going to be like, wow, I've been doing it, you know, not to not to say anyone's doing it wrong. But I feel, you know, I personally feel like when I really got going with my garden and really bought into this whole new way of doing things, I'm like, wow, I've. I've been wasting a lot of time doing all these things that don't matter and look at the habitat we've created. Like, look at how fun it is. My daughter will go out and she actually did get stung by a bee because she tried to pet the bee, but she loves nature. She loves being outside. She loves it when the flowers are in bloom. She's picking flowers all summer long. To me, that's infinitely better than any immaculate, pristine green turf grass. There's, there's just no comparison. So this is my uh, persuasive speech for you all today. And I hope it inspires you to continue on with your wild native landscapes, or maybe to take the dive if you haven't already. We've got a, a great list of episodes planned for this year, for this new season. So I think it's going to be engaging for everybody, even if you've listened to all the episodes last year. And I'm, I'm so excited. I think it's going to be a great year for native plants. Uh, thank you to all the people who support us on Patreon. Thank you for liking us on social media. If you found us on Instagram or Facebook, we appreciate it. And we hope that we can provide some inspiring info for you and your gardens. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Plant Native Nebraska podcast. If you need notes on anything mentioned in today's episode, check our website, plant-native-nebraska.captivate.fm for more info. I want you to know you've made this podcast special just by listening in, but if you found real value in today's talk, you can both financially support future episodes and dive deeper into the topics we share by finding us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash plant native nebraska thanks for listening